how are we already getting into week six? Well, even still, with half the season over, there's still plenty of time for you to either turn your redraft season around or get into DFS to take your mind off of your season-long league. 444 is offering a discount on all subscriptions using our promo code DYNASTYOM. You'll receive a 25% discount on your sub and get access to the site with the most accurate rankings since 2012. TJ Hernandez and Holden Kushner lead the way with their weekly DFS podcasts and analysis on weekly slates, along with our notable rankers and stat gurus like John Paulson and Josh Hermsmeyer, giving the people something to argue about week in and week out with their rankings and model predictions. Again, use our promo code DYNASTYOM and get an edge on the weekly action. Now, let's get into the show. This game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Trade list, and now these fish are all up on you. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your So, this is it. You want to learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic, D- dynasty, it, it's automatic, owner's manual, it, it, it's automatic, D- dynasty, it, it's automatic, <laughs> and here are your authors, Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildey. All right, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 25, or no, what, what episode are we on now, Adam? Oh, I wrote 23. Don't put me on the spot. Oh, man. I'm never going to remember these episode numbers. We'll get it right one of these days. I'll check it in the notes after we're done. <laughs> we're on episode 20-something. How about that? Of the right. Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen. And tonight we have a guest from the Dynasty Happy Hour. We have Andrew Harbaugh with us here to talk about uh, some Devi prospects. So now for some of you folks that might be sitting there in your either in your redraft league or your dynasty leagues and you're sitting at 0 and 4 and already kind of turning towards 2019 and beyond i think it's possible or i think or it, i would i'd say like i i'm praying for you right now if you are sitting at that poor of a record <laughs> but regardless uh it's important for us to take a you know take a look at the future and conti- like try and look at some of the players that we might want to pick up on our uh, on our dynasty rosters here within the coming year. So we brought Andrew in here tonight to go over a couple of prospects that he uh, actually wrote a recent article about. So, but before we get into that, Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I can't complain. Yeah. Again, we're we're already starting off the pod right with me having to tell an embarrassing story about how I didn't download the correct audio or didn't record the correct <laughs> audio last week. Apparently, Adam's just gone, I mean, you know, full psycho on us, and he's drinking Bud Light Lime tonight. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to make it work here, man. So I think you're going to have to bear with us a little bit, as this is not who we normally are, I swear. We normally have – this is a professional podcast. So, I, I mean, the first few minutes here, I think you're going to bear with us for, for a little bit, and we'll, we'll get on track. But before we get into content for this evening, let me uh, introduce my co-host and partner in crime, at least for this week, but we'll figure <laughs> out his contract for the weeks coming after this. But Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I just can't wait for our listeners to convince you that 
Bud Light Lime is better than whatever you're brewing at home. And uh, the Capitals are up 2-0, so it's a great night for me, not so much for you, Chris. Oh, my gosh. All right, so we're... I can only agree with two of those things that came out of my... <laughs> yeah, or exactly. one of those things. <laughs> exactly. If anybody ever tried to convince me that Bud Light Lime is better than anything that I brew, we're going to have to sit down and have a long conversation, but we don't have time for that this evening. So, of course, again, back what I was talking about in the intro, I mean, we're... Four weeks in, I mean, it's already week five. I mean, I can't believe we're, we're already into week five of redraft season, but yet again, it's like we've got uh, the NFL going on, which has been exciting. I think every weekend so far, y'all could agree that uh, quarterback play, passing is up, these overtimes, ties, and we've had everything so far. Uh, so the NFL has been enticing to watch, but still we do have to pay attention to some of these up-and-coming college players. So... Andrew, walk us through this piece that that you've got on some of the wide receivers, uh, the the duo down at Ole Miss. I guess what was your motivation for writing on this specific duo and not any other particular college duo that might be of relevance to us as dynasty owners? I think what's unique about the team down at Mississippi is, um, along with the duo receivers they have, who are both arguably top five prospects, um, they have a tight end prospect with Dawson Knox, who's also one to watch. But with those two specifically, as I wrote in the title, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, all preseason, all I ever heard about was A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown. And his numbers pop off as far as box scores go. But then when you dive more into it, um, when the season started progressing, D.K. Metcalf started popping up more. Watch more of him, and I see why he's popping up. And as I mentioned in the piece, those two, as far as production-wise, Brown has the better stats overall. Metcalf, though, is performing against those top SEC defenses, which, of course, Alabama had 11 players drafted last year. So if you can't perform against an SEC defense, may not transition as well to NFL defense. Um, Brown still has abilities that will be used in NFL game plans, and he'll be a game changer at some point, I'm sure. But it still makes you weary of it. And you have to look at it a little bit more. I can understand that for sure. So now for folks that aren't maybe as tuned into the college scene as some other folks, if you were to take both Metcalf and Brown and just look at them right now in their careers, I know uh, is Metcalf, he's a sophomore. Am I, am I correct in saying that? I want to say he is, yeah. Yeah, I, I forget if Brown is also a sophomore as well, but either sophomore or junior. I thought, but I think they're both sophomores. Brown's the junior, Metcalf's the There we sophomore. go. There we go. But looking at their, I guess, their their player archetype and, like, how they've been able to produce so far, could you come up with a comparison to either a current or retired NFL player to at least put folks in the ballpark of what they can expect in terms of how they play? Not their production, but just how they play on the field. Yeah, I would say for Metcalf, as far as a size comparison, a playing comparison, first person that popped in my head was Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is able to use his size to go up and get it, but he's also at the same time not afraid to go across the middle and be a possession receiver in that sense, which is why Robinson got the big contract from Chicago and is with Trubisky now and a big part of that offense. As far as Brown goes, I would say he's more of, I had a harder time coming up with the comp for him, but I think a poor man's Juju Smith-Schuster, just as far as the size the speed ability. I think Juju is a better route runner and I think Juju has better hands. But as far as size and a little bit of the flashes, that's what comes to my mind at least. 
but then again, it might change as the season goes on. But that's the beauty of it. You always got to be watching. So, Andrew, uh, we're going to get a lot of Dynasty content after the NFL season is over and we start start to kind of turn towards the regular season for dynasty teams, which is the off season. But why is it so important to dig into college football as a dynasty owner on your own before you start seeing this content? I think the biggest part with that is once it gets into the off season, because you have the bowl games, you get a little bit of that lag until the pro days come up and then you have the combines and then you always have reports with wonderlick tests and people's forties and, Look at John Ross. John Ross a couple of years ago wasn't very high, but then he breaks the 40-yard dash record and not Adidas's because he didn't want an island. And he jumps up the board and becomes a top pick for the Bengals. Same thing can happen this year. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, A.J. Brown has the speed. Maybe he does really good with the 40 and he jumps up. The biggest thing is just knowing the names going into the combine so you know who to look for on that ticker that's always super long. <laughs> And now if you were to now break down the players themselves, I think that the the saying that I've heard over and over again from Josh Norris over at Roto World is that, uh, I mean, how does this player, how does he win? Like how does Brown or Metcalf, like when you see them on the field, like what are the outstanding traits that really jump off to you when you see them play on the field? Now I thought you mentioned earlier uh, with Brown, it was at least to, to some degree the route running ability. So are there any other characteristics of either wide receiver that you would say that once they get to the NFL or once they do declare to uh, to try and be drafted into the NFL, these are going to be the traits that the scouts are going to say that they are just, I mean, they're going to blow you away because of X. Like, what are those for those re- receivers? Metcalf, um, I would say it's definitely his playmaking ability. I would say as far as the receivers in this upcoming class, him and Nikhil Harry from Arizona State are your two best playmakers. That's his biggest thing. He has highlight one-handed catches. He has... As I mentioned before, he'll go across the middle. He He's not afraid to get his hands dirty to win the ball, which goes a long way with quarterback trust and offensive coordinator and head coach trust, which equates into reps and playtime. As far as Brown goes, his thing is when he gets in an open field, he's gone. And even if he is going across the middle in a rarity or in a screen, he has the vision and the ball-carrying abilities that he's able to get to the second level and break through which, again, makes him a potential playmaker at the next level in that sense. So we understand when you're watching this film on these players that you're not going to see NFL athletes on this film. I mean, they haven't been coached by NFL coaches. They're not in NFL systems. So we understand to or should understand to bring the expectations down a little. With that being said, when you're watching college players on film, what do you expect from them and what do you kind of feel translates well to the NFL? Well, I think the biggest thing, as I mentioned in my article, is with if you're going against top teams. So in my article, and I knew this could either make people mad or not, as far as the SEC teams go, and I'm a Florida fan, and I didn't put my defense in there. (laughs) But if you're going to play Auburn, Alabama, LSU, you want to be able to perform. Those are the top teams in the SEC usually every single year. And LSU, their defense is right up there with Alabama every year as far as defensive prospects. If you can perform against the future NFL talent, you should be able to perform against them once they're your classmates in the rookie drafts. It also gives you an idea because Alabama's running complex defenses, LSU's running complex defenses. 
if they're able to figure those out, then you know they at least have the ability to learn and adapt to a pro offense and defense. So there's no exact science with this. That's the beauty of it. It's just you got to go on what looks like it should work. So now I know we talked about the specific qualities like of the players themselves, but when you see them playing and then I know you mentioned the, for the SEC, it's, I know it's the, the defenses within that specific conference that, I mean, it, that, that's what, that's your gauge, right? Like if, mm. if they can play against those defenses, then they should be able to, I, it's more, li- more than likely that they should translate into the, into the NFL. Now, Let's switch it over to the Big Ten. Like, I live in the Ohio area. I'm not a huge Buckeye fan. But, I mean, for players like Johnny Dixon and, uh, I mean, anybody else that's and the receivers for Ohio State, is that the, would you still compare players in a separate conference to the SEC? Are there other teams uh, within those conferences that you would say would be, I guess, a similar gauge for those, for those different colleges? Or would you always compare receivers out of conference to the sec because then for me i'm not a huge i'm not a huge follower of college football but that is interesting if uh you know if i wanted to compare or or to say that this prospect will be somebody that i'm going to be watching for in the future should i always be looking for them to play against the sec um i think one thing to look out for if you're going to be looking at say big 10 ohio state and penn state this past weekend um, Trace McSorley, who I don't think is a Debbie watch quarterback, but regardless, everyone knows who he is because he's quarterback at Penn State. Right. He ran the ball more on Saturday than he did pass it. But when he did pass it, um, Juwan Johnson, who is a prospect to watch from Penn State, went up, showed the athletic ability with the one-handed grab, which was a big swing in the whole game in that aspect. So with those is you got to look at, they don't have as much of a sample size, so when they show it, you got to look at how they did it, why they did it, and if it was their doing or the defense is doing. So SEC defense, there's there's no other defense, in my opinion, in the whole country. Next closest, Pac-12 has some pretty solid defenses. Utah always plays everyone well. Washington does as well. And they have several good Pac-12 Debbie Watch prospects for receivers within Keel Harry, as I mentioned, from Arizona State, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford, um, who's a touchdown machine, too, in himself. But it's more or less you just got to look and see the flashes in the pan, and then you got to see them do it more consistently. But the problem is sometimes they don't always have the ability. Key example, LSU produced Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. LSU, until this year, hasn't had a good quarterback in my lifetime that I remember. But they were still able to produce two top-level wide receivers. So just because they aren't necessarily college production doesn't mean it doesn't translate to the NFL. And it almost feels like you need to look at the team more than the player in that case, right? I mean, if you find a player that's flashing and a player that's showing ability, but it's limited sample size, I guess it would also need to be in your repertoire to uh, analyze that offense as a whole, am I right? Yeah, for sure. And, like, if you have teams that are more running style, the receivers may be able to block a little bit better, which not a lot of college receivers do a whole lot of blocking. So that may have a step up with NFL teams, which could impact reps again. It's all about just getting the opportunity in the NFL, and that's the thing we see every year. There's players that are drafted very late, and they produce. Juju was a 
later round pick, James Washington this year. He's producing really well for Pittsburgh. Anytime Pittsburgh takes a receiver after the first round, he's worth a watch, essentially. But <laughs> true, true. They do so well at receiver. And James Washington was my initial wide receiver one for a while. Eventually, DJ overtook him like he did for most people. But now it's getting a little foggy. I don't know. Calvin Ridley's looking good, too. So resources, that's what we want to talk about next because it's all about par- – practical application and we'll get into some solid practical application in the second half of the show but just talk to us a little bit about some of the resources you're using to uh, make these evaluations a little easier kind of how you use them i absorb as much as i can of everybody that has an opinion essentially it's kind of like what draft or fantasy twitter is everyone has an opinion it's just about taking it processing it the way you want to process it and go from there a lot of people I listen to that are good voices with scouting. Uh, Matt Miller with Bleacher Report. Draft Network just came out. They have a lot of good writers over there. Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks have a podcast I listen to. Connor Rogers, who's also with Matt Miller from Bleacher Report. It's, it's not so much taking what they say and completely running with it. I mean, Matt Miller gets brutalized every single day, I think, over Trent Richardson, which everyone missed on. But... It's more or less you take it, process it, look into it a little bit, and form your own opinion, which I don't have NFL executives on my phone. I don't have scouts, so I've got to rely on them to give me an idea on who to look at. And then from there, I do my digging and form my own opinion, and then I just translate it as best I can, pen to paper for anybody who would like to hear it. You know, this isn't on the show sheet, but I've been waiting to ask somebody about this. We put a lot of stock into draft position. I personally put the most stock into draft position. And the reasoning behind that is because we're assuming that these executives know what they're doing. Essentially, we're assuming that they've put far more time into it. So if they wanted to take John Ross at seven, they had a reason for it. Uh, but we're seeing more and more busts and we're seeing more and more head scratchers. It's getting to the point where I'm starting to kind of wonder is it time to kind of dial back how much weight we put into draft position? I think it goes into situation. Last year, Kareem Hunt really got on everyone's boards when he produced at the Senior Bowl, was a Senior Bowl MVP. Then he goes to Kansas City, and he had Charkandrick West and Spencer Ware in front of him, which is eh, as far as competition level goes. Sure, right. And then Spencer Ware, unfortunately, I believe he blew out his knee before the year. And then Hunt goes in, and the rest is history. Right. I mean, that's the NFL in whole. I mean, injuries affect everything. Coaches affect everything. It's all about just getting the opportunity. If a player can play, they'll find you. And that's what they do at the Senior Bowl. That's what they do with the drafting. It, a lot of times, there's the later round running backs and wide receivers that nobody expects anything out of. So when they do show it, it's like, oh, wow, we have something here. Flashing back, I remember a couple years ago, my grandfather, before I got into all the rookie stuff, he was telling me, oh, I took this wide receiver that was picked in the seventh round by the Saints. He's like, I just took him because Breeze was the quarterback. I go, why would you take a seventh-round wide receiver? I said, because if they draft him that late, he may not even make the roster. Well, that was Marquise Colston, so he knew what he (laughs) was doing at that point. Yeah, right. But And then you look at current level players as far as you said not panning out. I would think Laquan Treadwell, Minnesota, would be a good example. Uh Um, He's had a little bit of a flash this year, but that's the first time. 
but at the same time, receivers take a little bit longer to progress. Same with quarterbacks. Running backs, it's a little bit easier for them to translate because you could go to a team with a good offensive line. Um, you can go to a team with a good quarterback where they're not going to stack the box. We can look all we want. I wrote in my, I have an article coming out this coming week. At the end, I said, everything I wrote as far as rankings come May won't matter right. <laughs> because where players land will affect everything and change it all. Sure. So. Now we're just kind of throwing an eye on, on these players and we kind right. of have a general idea of who we're going to be looking at. And then I want to hear a few, few metrics from you. I'm going to throw some out there, uh, that I like to look at for some of these guys just for the listeners to, uh, kind of check out. So playerprofiler.com is an excellent site for a lot of the metrics for these guys. So if you can think of any other important ones, I know there's a new one that I'm not too familiar with, so I don't want to throw it out, but we do have college dominator and that's important. So that's going to tell you how many catches you're getting in your offense, basically your market share of the offense and how you dominated the, uh, the offensive touches for your team. Is there any other metrics that you're looking at for these players that can kind of sway us away from draft capital, things that we can look at instead of just saying, well, Cincinnati took John Ross at seven or or whatever top ten, so you know he must be good. I think just looking at depth charts. I know that sounds really archaic at this point and simple and not a very fun answer, but like I said with Hunt, you look at that depth chart and you're like, he might have a chance. Sure. Look at the Col- the Colts this year. You have Jordan Wilkins. And you're like, he may have a chance. And Kalen Balage with Miami. Kenyon Drink hasn't done anything fancy, and neither Frank Gore's. 88 years old. Sure. <laughs> so it's more or less you got to look and see when an opportunity could pop up. And if you're in the Saints, they pass the ball majority of the game. Receivers for them might be a little bit worth worth a little bit more than, say, a receiver in Tennessee, whereas they try to run more. It's I think depth charts is where you got to really look at and training camp notes and everything as far as that goes with that. So we're combining talent with opportunity and you know that's kind of what chris and i preach very often on this show there's a few things that you need to get a productive fantasy player you need talent and opportunity sometimes you get it done with just opportunity sometimes you get it done with just talent but if we can observe these players you find even a glimpse of talent with quality opportunity or uh, quality talent and a glimpse of opportunity you might be in business there Mm -hmm. 100 And here's a quick question for you, Andrew. I think when it comes to looking at some of the, I guess, the the pedigree of these receivers as they're transitioning from college to NFL, I mean, we I know we just talked, we just had the conversation about a draft stock and if they're picked in the you know first round, second round, or wherever. But do you look at the offensive schemes that some of these players are coming from? So, say for instance. Clemson, Baylor, I mean, the production that we see a lot of the wide receivers coming from some of those like air raid type offenses, you know, how they can, they can and cannot, I mean, depending on which receiver we're talking about, I mean, Clemson receivers, I mean, we might be talking about Sammy Watkins, something of that nature, uh, Baylor receivers, I mean, regardless, I mean, how much do you put any weight or do you put any stock into the schemes that some of these players come from in order to understand how they can produce or how they produce when they're in college? I think if we look at an offense like Baylor, say, unfortunately, since Art Riles left through that whole unfortunate circumstance at Baylor, um, the offense has been a little bit different. Right. But Corey Coleman, Josh Gordon came out of there when RG3 was there. Mm-hmm. Um, they had other receivers there 
and Terrence Williams as well. Um, those three guys not only had the numbers they put up in college, but then they also had the size and the testing after college. That's where if you don't have the production, you just need to look and say, hey, this guy could do this because he has um, size. So he could be a red zone target. If he's smaller but has the speed, he can be a punt and kick returner, um, slot receiver. It's just about figuring out where they'll fit, and each team uses them differently. So that's where, as far as Baylor goes, that's what I would say. And then a current air raid offense with Texas Tech, Kiki Cody. I can never say his I name can, right Yeah, now. I've heard Cootie. Yeah, I think uh, it's Cootie. Cootie, yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. But um, with him, he was drafted out of Texas Tech last year. But nobody else, to my knowledge, from Texas Tech last year or the year before has really done anything. It's just about everyone's going to produce there, and that's why you can't box score scout. I had a tweet the other day. It was hashtag and box score scouting. Because mm-hmm. if we were box score scouting, Tim Tebow would still be the GOAT. But that's another discussion for another <laughs> podcast. Um, regardless, it's just about looking with the metrics and the size, and a lot of that stuff comes out after the year. Right. And uh, another question, and this is could be for, for both of you guys. I mean, when it comes to, and we were talking about this just a bit ago, when it comes to wide receiver production, and I know for... I know for a time the expectation was that it might be until year two, possibly even year three, in order to really see that wide receiver transition from college to NFL. I mean, look at look at like a player like Tyler Boyd. He was drafted what 2016 second rounder, and yes. and yeah. so and so now we're looking at him being able to operate as the number two, uh, besides uh, you know beside AJ Green, where it's like in you know John Ross still flashing here and there but really it's Tyler Boyd that's the number 2 but what would the what would our take on wide receiver production be like if we weren't spoiled by the draft class of 2014 I mean would we really be having these high expectations for these wide receivers that came out over the past couple of years if we weren't hit with like Odell, Mike Evans and all the rest of these guys like all within a single a single year I just think I think the whole landscape, or I guess our expectation of wide receivers, would be completely different if they just all weren't lumped into a single class. And now we're just expecting to see these guys just pick it up and just and just hit the ground running. I think, yeah. I mean, you get spoiled by that for sure. You do that with quarterback classes. Um, you do that with running back classes. Running back classes the last couple of years. Key example: we got Todd Gurley, David Johnson. Ezekiel Elliott, all of them. And then this coming year, you don't really have a name anybody is really talking about the most. Same with quarterbacks this coming year. But as far as years beyond, there might be more of that. But I think as far as talking about in the past and how the expectations have been set, yeah, I think we've been spoiled. I mean, it's like going from Christmas. One year you get your Xbox One, and then the next year you open up your big present and you got jeans. Right. Right. So... While they're still useful, it's not flashy. Right. <laughs> it's almost as if, I mean, we, we use the term generational talent so many times over the past oh two goodness. years that it's the like, running backs, they've had yeah, a lot of those. Yeah. Everybody's a generational talent and not to say, and not to take any, anything away from these kids. Absolutely not. I mean, they're right. all, I mean, Saquon Barkley, talented. Zeke, talented. Todd Gurley, talented. I mean, I mean, all of these guys. I mean, they're talented, but it's just that that word has just been just the the primary descriptor for all of them. It's like who who isn't a generational talent at this point? 
let's let's just take a second to talk some practical application about this then because you're absolutely right and we've talked about this for a few episodes now how it's just like if 2014 didn't happen with Jarvis Landry or Becca, Mike Evans, even Martavis Bryant, Jarvis Landry, uh, those guys just went off and that was an outlier. But ever since then, it's trickled down that people have gotten frustrated very quickly. And these running backs are producing early. We had a phenomenal class last year, which led to people saying that this class would be even better. And that's just because we had good running backs this year as well. And they are good running backs. They're taking some time to develop. I like to construct my roster with, let's just put an age number one, let's say 27, 28-year-old wide receivers, and then just cycle through rookie running backs. That's what I like to do. I'm not going to pay up a quarterback. I like to draft running backs. And let's go ahead and put put out there that we're going to draft best position available in the rookie draft, but just trade back until you get to that sweet spot for that running back you want. The reason I bring all this up is if people in your league are still spoiled by 2014, or they're still spoiled by 2017, take advantage of that. If they're frustrated with Carrion Johnson already, for example, go trade for Carrion Johnson. These wide receivers are not going to produce right away. I'm sorry. That's why you have a taxi squad. Go pick them up. I mean, Kiki Kute was not supposed to do anything, and I knew that. He's on four of my uh, taxi squads. I wrote about him a little bit yesterday. I knew he wasn't going to do anything. Is it nice to see him get 100 and some yards on, what, 15 targets? Absolutely. Very nice to see that. Will he do it again this year? No, probably not. But if Deshaun Watson proves to support three wide receivers the way he proves to support Fuller and Hopkins, take your time, man. Sit on my taxi squad. I'm not using you. So just keep that in mind as we go through talking about these Debbie players and then they come out next year. If you liked that guy and you didn't get to draft him, just keep an eye on him because that owner is going to get frustrated and they're going to be ready to sell. I think that's a fair point because I think in a lot of, in a lot of leagues, like you will have, I wouldn't necessarily say the redraft mentality, but just the I need production now mentality or that win now mentality. In some cases, you're going to have to wait one, two, I mean, three, four, five years. I mean, depending on the player, you know, depending on who you're talking about. So if the owner is getting impatient with that, that's where a lot of the general themes of what we've discussed in pretty much every single episode uh, is communicate. I mean, talk with some of your, uh, talk with your league mates and find out, sure. like, if they're, find out what they might want for that particular player and see if, uh, you know, there's a, there's a deal that can be made because if you've done your homework, I mean, you know, and just talking with Andrew, like you can tell that he's done his homework in terms of sure. understanding what they're, where these college prospects are at. You know the talent, you know how that, you know how they can produce. So, if given the proper situation, which I think finishes off the trifecta, I mean, talent, opportunity, situation, then with that being said, you can make a deal for a player and just wait for that proper, like, wait for the situation to manifest itself. So I think, Andrew, have you seen that in any any leagues that you've been a part of, where you've seen like where you know a player has the talent, but the owner has become impatient, or he's looking to he's looking to make a move on a player, or just completely cut bait when you know that there's the talent to be had there. So funny you mentioned that. Um, the whole time you we were talking, I was thinking about this. My dynasty, one of my dynasty leagues, I'm in. I'm zero four. I'm 0-4 because all my running backs retired last year. So I had no running backs coming into this year. <laughs> but with that, I took Geis, knowing that this year I'm not going to get anything out of him, but I'll have an RB1 in right. the future. Mm-hmm. Right. But I was loaded at receiver, and my receivers were Josh Gordon, Doug Baldwin, mm-hmm. Cooper Cup, Larry Fitzgerald. I moved Doug Baldwin 
to a contender for, for Ronald Jones and a 2021st. So I was like, okay with that because I knew with what I had, I'm going to have a high pick next year. And it's just kind of one of those things you accept it. Then I had mm-hmm. some, the guy who was in first place last week message me and he said, Hey, no offense. I see your team's 0 and 3. I, I need a, I need a flex receiver. He's like, what would you want for Larry Fitzgerald? And I said, well, who do you got for rookie running backs? And he, I looked at his team and he had Nick Chubb and I'm a Browns fan and I, this is before Sunday. <laughs> and I said, well, what about Chubb? And he's like, I, I would separate with Chubb. He's like, I don't, oh goodness. he's like, I could get rid of Chubb. I was like, well, can you give me a pick in there too? Just for the heck of it. I said, because he's like, well, he's like, what are you looking for? And I end up getting a 2022nd and Chubb for Larry Fitzgerald. Oh, straight wow. up. Goodness. And that's part of the patience aspect. Because where, you didn't do anything yet. Right. But yeah. It, and then Sunday, have that glimmer of opportunity. That was the wow. only good part about that whole game. But anyway, yeah, these, owners, these owners are out there. We have plenty of savvy listeners. I completely understand that, and I don't want anyone to be offended right now, saying, "Oh my goodness, I would never do that." Well, good. I hope that if you're listening to us, you would never do something like that. But you do have people in your league that are, especially when they see dollar signs at the end of the tunnel. I mean, if you're four and zero right now, what's Nick Chubb going to do for you to get to your championship and to get to that, to that payout? Right. So, yeah, I'll take Larry Fitzgerald. Well, okay, you take Larry Fitzgerald, he retires, and then all of a sudden, week 12, Nick Chubb was producing. So, I mean, that's where the patience comes in. A few receivers people might be frustrated with, Michael Gallup, Traquan Smith, DJ Moore. It's like I wouldn't expect any of them to produce anytime soon. I moved DJ Moore up to my 103, and he's done almost nothing because everyone else has question marks. And uh-huh. DJ Moore has done what he's supposed to do, but people don't look at it that he's done what he's supposed to do. They're like, man, why isn't DJ Moore producing? Well, cause he's a rookie wide receiver learning an NFL system. That's probably why he's not producing. He is no question marks. Nick Chubb looked great though. I, I love Nick Chubb this offseason and that was really cool to see him get stuff done. Great trade. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an awesome trade. I mean, I think if I could if I could make a deal like that, I'd do that in a heartbeat. So that's kudos to you, Andrew, for being able to negotiate something like that. I'm surprised that someone was able to or wanting to cut bait so quickly on on a player, especially with his talent. I mean, if you didn't yeah. watch him like prior to well, even after he came back from the injury, but right. even, even still, I mean, you knew that the talent was still there, and I didn't. Th- I, w- I wasn't a firm believer that the injury was really going to hamper him all that much. Because if mm-hmm. that was if that was the case, then I don't think the Browns would have taken him when they when they took him. So while I didn't expect anything to happen this year, I mean, especially in 2019. So at the mm-hmm. very least, I mean, if you, if you drafted him this year. You should at least hold on to him to see what's going to happen oh, with, sure. with the Carlos Hyde situation and whatnot. Because sure. I, do, I just don't see them holding on to him. But that's that's yeah. a whole other thing. But wow, wow, that's just that's a, that's amazing. That same league, all due respect to everybody who's in it and may listen to this, I got Geis at one eleven of the first round because of the injury, right? Because of the injury, it happened the week that's... before the draft. Okay, and I was shocked. I still thought maybe he before he probably would have been top three. I figured all oh, he'll drop to like six or seven. And it's funny, I was texting Dynasty Scout the whole time. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, another person went and it wasn't Geis. He's like, is Geis still there? Is Geis still there? And I was yeah. like, wow. It's like the movie draft day. I just didn't know what to do. I was yeah. like, oh, Geis. <laughs> yeah, and we're not, yeah, and this isn't even to, it's not to smash other, other owners. This is, this is the reality of your leagues. And it's just keep your mind open. Keep, keep your, keep a heads up because, 
if you can find owners that aren't patients, that's that's the key to victory in dynasty is being more patient. Um, that's just absurd to get them. And, and not to mention that you probably have to wait a year for Nick Chubb. I mean, let's be honest, Carlos Hyde is probably exceeding expectations at the least. He's doing pretty well. He's getting the volume. So let's just say Nick Chubb is also going to be a wait till 19 player. Then uh, you took Nick Chubb. Let's just say the guy took him at one of five. Well, you got probably the better talent by a little bit at mm-hmm. 111 because of patience. So that's a great little piece of practical application. Leads into the next question too is, do you start paying attention to players that are more than a year out from the NFL? I think it depends on how your team looks. In the Dynasty Happy Hour Writers League, my team, I got trade happy. Mm-hmm. I'm not rebuilding essentially 100%, but I need some quarterback depth. I need some running backs especially. Sure. So with that in mind, I have, I want to say last I checked, three or four 2021st round picks. Nice. And I have three 2022nds because that's the running back class that's the next generation sure, of talent. Sure. <laughs> okay. With Akers from Florida State and Dobbins from Ohio State, um, Tua from Alabama, Jake Fromm from Georgia, um, as far as quarterbacks and running backs go. Um, I think, and that's with me needing running backs and quarterbacks. If I needed wide receivers, I'd be all in on this draft class. Sure. Um, it's very deep for receiver. This is a very deep class for receiver, and I think will be – Hopefully, when it's all said and done, closer to that 14 class as far as production goes. But like, it just depends on how your team looks. I like I said, I know I needed quarterbacks and running backs, and I know 2020 is quarterbacks and running backs. Right. And if you, if you get anything from our show on a regular basis, just take away patience because people throw out 2020 first like candy mm-hmm. in trades. It, they're almost throw-ins because it's like, sure, it's two years away. I mean, I'll trade back for 2021st, and I'll do the same thing with 19 first if I need to get a trade done, not just as a throw-in, but I'll I'll put it out there knowing that um, I'll buy later before it gets too expensive. At least that's the theory behind it. But with 2021st right now, or just let's just say two year out first, uh, people are willing to part with those. You know, no problem. And if your team's not ready to compete right now, not ready to compete next year, get a 2021st in every trade. I mean, people probably have them. So always get that 2021st thrown in. And then do you find yourself falling in love with a player probably a bit too early, maybe two years out? And then you get to the, to the NFL and they don't make it to the NFL. Has that ever, has it happened along the way? Uh, since I've been doing the scouting, I would say last year was the first year I really, really dove into it and made it a point to look into it as much as I have. I'd say Anthony Miller's upset me a little bit to this point, but I'm still okay being patient with that. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, I turned down a trade where I was offered a 2022nd and it was another running back for Anthony Miller. And I want to wait and see at this point. So as far as that goes, I'd probably say Miller's been a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler from Dynasty Happy Hour will agree with me on this. Rojo has really been frustrating, but not because of oh, his my fault. Goodness. It's just because Dirk Cutter, like he said, they should all be fired. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> agree. And that's but another think- player, too, that – if you believed in before, you should still probably believe in. I wasn't a big fan of Ronald Jones, but just for the sake of uh, 
the learning experience that we're going through right now. If you were a fan of Ronald Jones before, you probably don't have enough reason to not be a fan now. I think that the team's investment in him thus far hasn't bode well for confidence in, in dynasty owners. But if you did believe in him before, you could at least go back and look at the film and see how poorly the offensive line has produced for him uh, and perhaps go get him for uh, an extreme discount extreme. Um, mm-hmm. If he was he was around 106 when he got drafted, yeah. um, man, you could probably pay a second, I would imagine. I'd have to go look at some of the trades that have gone down, but – uh, think of that trade equity going from the 106 to uh, a 19 second uh, a month or so later in the span of a perhaps 10 year career. Now, again, that's if you believed in them. If you saw enough of them, man, you might get a, a lot of good years out of them if that's what you thought you were going to get before for very cheap. That's a, I mean, that's a really steep drop in terms of his price. So yeah, if, if that's available to you, then I would, I would advocate for picking him up. If like, again, depends on your roster and, and whatever. Right. But yeah, wholeheartedly advocate for something like that. Uh, but Andrew, I think we're winding down for the evening. And, uh, before we get you out of here, there is one thing. I mean, just, just for fun, we were talking about Brown, Metcalf, and just, and just how they play and like in their, in their talents. I mean, if you were to look at the way that the NFL is, I guess, behaving now with all the additional passing, passing touchdowns, and then teams are looking or moving away from running the ball so much, so it does seem like wide receivers are, are in this year. I mean, where would you see, based off of the situations you see around the league, where could you see Brown and Metcalf thriving with the way that they, with how they win their skill set and things of that nature? Could you see any teams that could use players of their skill either right now or let's say if they declared for next year, uh, something like that? I uh, I was looking at the show rundown and I hadn't even really looked at projections for places, so it made me think a little bit. And I was looking at teams. Metcalf, first thing I thought of was Des Bryant replacement for Dak Prescott. He'd be perfect. He it doesn't seem to be as much of a vocal athlete mm-hmm. <laughs> as Des, and I think he has the size, the playmaking abilities to be that red zone target that Dak desperately needs. Mm-hmm. I also think Jacksonville, I said he compares to Allen Robinson. Jacksonville, I think, missing Allen Robinson a little bit doesn't seem right now because Blake Bortles figured out how to play quarterback for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. But when that falls off again, I expect them to need another big receiver like that. Um, as far as A.J. Brown goes, I thought of – he initially reminded me of Deshaun Jackson without the burner speed. So then I was thinking, well, Washington needs a burner still. Jamison Crowder's not producing the way everyone wanted. Josh Doxson's haven't been doing as well. So they need a receiver there. I think he would fit well there. Philly, I think, could always use another weapon for Carson Wentz. And then also, too, like Cleveland Browns, they got rid of Corey Coleman. Um, right now they've got Jarvis Landry blessing everybody. But mm-hmm. other than that, I think they could use another burner-type receiver, but it still has a big body. Callaway has the burner ability, but not the big body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think all of those actually make sense with how you've described them. So I'm hoping now. I'm I'm very interested to actually sit down and watch some college games now. And I think if I can, 
uh, sit down and watch Mississippi play. I'll be looking for both of those guys. So that's the problem. You got to sit down and watch Mississippi play. Exactly. <laughs> that's going to be the hard part. But now that you told us about him, so now I'll have something to watch for. Uh, so Andrew, I, we appreciate you taking the time. And if folks were wanted to go and either read more of your work or or see any of your other, I guess, thoughts or hashtag thoughts, things of that nature, uh, where would they be able to find you on social media? According to my wife, I'm on Twitter too much. So we <laughs> everybody's wife says Twitter. that. <laughs> um, at DHH Mandrew underscore Mandrew. I'm always, whenever I have time between work and writing and everything else, always on there. Usually get an article or two out on Dynasty Happy Hour. I do have a weekly Devi Watch article where I highlight three to five players to watch for the coming weekend. So always look out for that. I'm trying to mix it up and not do repeat players. So that way you as a reader and fantasy player can be introduced as much as you can. All awesome. right, and uh, really just real quick, uh, who are your three players to watch from last week? Would they, ha- would they happen to be Brown and Metcalf, or was anybody else? I had – oh, boy, I can't even remember. <laughs> um, I want to say I had I, – ones I've mentioned before, I'll say. Okay. Not necessarily last week. Herbert from Oregon, he's really the QB one at this point, and he's separating himself. Uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford, as I mentioned. I'm still waiting on David Montgomery from Iowa State, the running back, to really burst out. I think he's the best running back at this point in this upcoming class. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I really would like a tight end to step up and take it. But tight ends in college always have tough production. Mm-hmm. So that's where you got to look more at size and where they go and everything. All of my articles are on the website. If you want to check them out, uh, there's me doing the Devi Watch, Mike McValley. All of us over at Dynasty Happer are always doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So just be sure to check it out. Okay. All right. So, again, uh, find or look for Andrew's work on, on uh, Twitter through Dynasty Happy Hour. Again, we thank you for coming on. Adam, do we have any other announcements for the folks before we get on out of here tonight? Yeah, first my guess was uh, Metcalf to the Jets and Brown to the Bills, just to throw that out there so we can look back in a in next year's draft and see if anyone guessed it right. But, um yeah, so we can we can be found on the FF Statistics family of pods now, as we've mentioned before. So if you go search FF Statistics, you're going to find the FF Stats DFS. You're going to find the FF Stats podcast, and you're going to find us now. So that's very cool. You're going to find us at our same uh, podcast handle now currently. You're also going to find us on YouTube, Dynasty Pregame, uh, Twitter at Dynasty Manual, and then you'll find me at DHH underscore Adam, also a Dynasty Happy Hour writer. Thanks for listening, guys. Awesome, awesome. And yes, I'm your host, Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. You can find my ramblings and hashtag thoughts through 444, and then also you can hear my lovely voice like here on the podcast each week. So again, we thank you guys for coming out, and we'll catch you guys next week. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic